guys. It's not anywhere in the book. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to That's Not in the Book. I'm your host, Agent X. I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Please remember that no AA member, including myself or any guest on this show, speak for AA as a whole. The only aim of this podcast is to be helpful. Please remember you can reach out to me or any guest that I have on the show at That's Not in the Book at Hotmail.com. Also, if you'd like to come along and read the book with me, season I'm in season three, and so far killing it. It is like, I just found the coolest people on accident. And I've run out of friends. So like, we're at 100 and some people. So I've run out of friends to do the podcast with. And so I put on little call call outs on I think did I get you Edwin at um, (laughs) Mad Dog Speakers, maybe? Mad Dog AA Recovery on Facebook, yes. Yeah, so there's that little, there's a group on Facebook called Mad Dog Recovery Speakers, which I've just been a huge fan of every single person I met through there. Just, um, you know, amazing AA recovery and uh, had some fantastic guests. But every time I don't know someone, like my guest today, Edwin Thatcher, who I just told you his real name is Edwin Throckmorton Thatcher. It's so playa, <laughs> dude. It's so dope. Um, I've just met you through there. Every time I'm a little bit like oh god what if what if someone comes on here like well i've just been to meetings for 34 years you know <laughs> living sober and like I'm, I'm waiting for the day but it hasn't happened yet and then you know you jump on here and you have your uh the new joe and charlie podcast uh big book living and your big book living live so um tell me about this recovery right now this thing that you're doing whatever i'm looking at sure sure so uh, is six eight of eighteen, uh, four and a half plus years recovery. Um, I did it. I did it right. I got into the meetings. I got the big book. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. Yeah. And I was doing real well and had done my service. I was actually working as GSR. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And in our area, pre-COVID, we had thirty-five meetings in the area. Post-COVID, we had 17, so I really called to service to start a meeting. So I found a church. Everything was pretty God-sent. I, I threw a friend, found a church that welcomed us, brought us in, started the meeting. Everybody brought everything, including the 40-pot coffee cup, coffee maker, um, and that is based on Joe and Charlie, the 1998 McLaughlin tapes out of Nevada. So what is that about? <clears throat> that is Joe and Charlie are two gentlemen that... Uh, used to get together and they'd study the big book and then they started doing seminars and they started going around the country interpreting the big book and the 12 steps. And there are two pretty well-known versions. There is the 2013 big book, some uh, big book study. And that's that available because I think that people um, listening that if they want um, further big book understanding that Joe and Charlie is fantastic example. So tell me where if somebody's looking for more where they could find that Uh, the version that we use I got from aaspeakers.org, which I believe is the Joe and Charlie uh, website. Excuse me. The. Sobercast, I believe, uses the 2013 version. Mm-hmm. So I started a regular weekly meeting. And one night, one of the gentlemen there said, do you know that Joe and Charlie came to our area about 25 years ago? Mm-hmm. I said, no way. He said, I think I have the tapes. So a few weeks later, he goes, guess what I found? Aww. So what I have here is yeah. the set of tapes that I promised to give him back. 
But when you went to a seminar back in the day, this was 1993, you might get a set of tapes. Yeah. And then that way you could listen to them afterwards. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they were. Do you know that there's like two generations of people that don't have any idea what you're talking about when you say a tape? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, We're um, not on video. So you can, no, we're not on video. Like we're not recording the videos. (laughs) Okay. And then watch, then watch Guardians of the Galaxy and you'll find out what a Walkman and a cassette tape is. And that's what these are. These are eight tapes. Yeah. 45 minutes each side. So about eight hours of tape. So they are different from the version I use every week for my regular meeting or our regular meeting from the standpoint that they were five years before that. And you haven't heard these. And if we get the time and you want, I will play you a couple of small excerpts because they're hysterical. And what's really nice is they talk about our local area. If you are uh, anywhere in the Metro Pittsburgh area, you know Latrobe, Pennsylvania is very popular because that is where the Steelers, who play football, American football, mm-hmm. uh, when they go and they do their preseason out there. They're also one of the largest Benedictine um, priests and, and monks that started this college. Well, that's where they went. So uh, 25 years ago, they hosted them for a weekend. And they did the seminar, and these tapes are the ones that I'm doing, the Big Book Living Alive version. We release every Monday uh, on YouTube. I add in some videos, so I don't do a live cast. I put some video up so you can meet some of the people uh, and see their pictures and go through. And then I also work with Acast, and I'm trying to increase that membership. So uh, it's a little self-plug. What's Acast? Acast, I guess they feed into Spotify and uh, the some of the other uh, podcast places are supposed to dump them out there. So, right. So this is about, um, so your podcast is about the Joe and Charlie tapes that aren't necessarily everywhere. Right. Correct. So- it's about this one version. And what's night, what, what happens is they'll take uh, about a nine minute or 10 minute segment where, and this week we're talking about uh, the effect of alcohol. And, and you know, alcohol affects us differently because it, it affects us both the mind and the body. We have the, obs- uh, the obsession and the disease. And I'll do a little intro on that, and then we'll play that portion of the Joe and Charlie. Do tape. they use the word disease? Because I don't. I just they do, do they? I, do they? That's it throws <laughs> me. But do you know who decided it was a disease? Was fucking what's her name? Marty Mann. Marty Mann's the one who's like, we have a disease. We have a disease. But the problem that I. Have with the word disease is simply that if we have a medical disease, there's no medical cure for alcoholism, and there, I just there isn't. So I there couldn't imagine not. going up to a cancer patient and being like, "My disease is treated with altruism and God." You know, like it's well, really it's actually, offensive, it's, isn't it? <laughs> it's actually kind of cool because Joe actually talks about that. He says he went to the dictionary and he looked up the word disease, mm-hmm. and it means to be uncomfortable or not normal it's not necessarily a disease like if you get um i don't know like you know let's look it up in the 1935 dictionary and rock my own world because i've never looked it up before it's he's a big proponent of using the dictionary right next to your big book and looking some of these words up well, I just started doing it this year, and I love it okay. because a lot of this stuff just isn't the same. The word isn't the same anymore, right? And all, Bill used how do we Bill spell disease? The same word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill didn't like D-I-S. using. 
Yeah. Bill W. would tell you the same thing three different ways because he used three different words. He didn't want to repeat the same word over and over. It was something he had been taught. So he will talk about the suffering, the disease, and he'll call it different things as you go through. So this is interesting. It says disease is a sickness, an abnormal condition that harms normal functioning. Well, I absolutely have that. I do absolutely have that. So that's interesting. Maybe I hate it a little less. That's that's this this whole past two years has just been my very slow spiritual awakening as well, you know. And I was kind of thinking when you were saying the tapes are a little bit different, it's because Joe and Charlie also spiritually grew over the years. You know, it doesn't stop. I realized my baseline message, I did the steps in 30 days. So my baseline message at 30 days was go fucking help people. Do the steps and go help people. My message at all these years sober is do the steps and go help people, right? But um, you never, that that expands, right? And your your air quotes, wisdom around this stuff. Um, and what's the goal is to grow an understanding and effectiveness of how to plug into God to be of service, you know, how to plug back into God, how to help other people plug into God, how other people can help you plug to, into God quicker. <laughs> I got to get there quicker today. <laughs> well, that's that's our emotional sobriety. That's how we grow after we do the steps. That was a really big one for me because I realized, and if you think about it, what they say is when you start drinking is where your emotional growth stops. So I'm about a 14-year-old. I'm on finally 18. I'm not even old enough to like buy cigarettes in the States because I changed it to 21. I don't smoke anymore. But it really was an emotional barrier that alcohol put up. I thought that I was smart and I thought I was funny and I thought, all these great things, but when you when you get into recovery, you realize you weren't fooling anyone. And my emotional ability to handle things, especially when we do our fourth step and we look at the resentments and we get towards the ones regarding sexuality. You know, I had I had I had uh, childhood ideologies regarding some of those thoughts because that's where I stopped growing. And I'm a much more well-rounded person, and my thoughts and ideas and ideology today. Because I've gone through that change of the 12 steps. I've seen what the higher power can do working with me. And I would say my higher power works through me. It doesn't work. And if I stop fighting it, it's amazing what happens. My higher power is like watching a a stone get skipped across the lake. If I don't get in its way and I let it do its course, it's going to take me somewhere I never would have imagined. And it's only when I drink and I get the self-thought and the self-destructive attitude that I'm in charge and I lose that God's will and I go with self-will that I get all these barriers in my way and then I can't get anywhere. I get stopped every time I turn around. I can maybe make one step forward, but two steps back. And hopefully I'm not the only one that feels that way. I've seen it happen. I think it's... um what I always try to emphasize is like, so I lose every sponsee I have at 12. And that's not true. Of course, it's not true. But um, I have a process to get people through the steps pretty, um, like rapidly and really in an organized way. So I have a great process. It doesn't mean that I'm successful. It means I have a good process to get people through the steps. But then when you're through the steps, uh, your head's above water. Now what you do when your head is above water, you've had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, you, the compulsion drink has been removed. And there's two ways people go either oh, God, I better hold on to this, like, 
and for the re- like with both hands, I better go find someone to help. I better get my ass into some service. I better start repaying AA for the spiritual awakening they just gave me by service through uh, to other people. Or like I feel better. I'm out of here, right? I feel better. Yeah. And um, and that self-will creeps back really, really, really fast. And so when people start getting uncomfortable after st- any step that they don't complete, including 12, mm-hmm. so say you stop at seven, you're feeling better, say you stop at nine, you're feeling better, say, say you stop at 12 and don't go get those sponsees, don't put this into action, um, you're going to feel better. And then all of a sudden you're going to start uh, having to deal with reality and like being alive, sober, which humanness is uncomfortable. So right. when I get co- uncomfortable, Either I'm going to do AA five times harder or I'm going to say AA didn't work. Look at I'm uncomfortable again and I'm going to F off. So um, when you talk about like this self-will thing, it's this, if you're new, is actual recovery. This is what recovery looks like to I have this terrible idea that my way is going to be best <laughs> over and over and over. And God will We will let refund me. We will refund all your pain and suffering if you'd like. If you don't like our program, you can go right back out and you can experience all of your pain and suffering. My last sponsee had 26 years Mm. and relapsed. Yeah. And here I am with four and a half years trying to work with someone who's got better than a quarter century. Mm. And it's still an ongoing process. It was unfortunate the holidays were not a good time for him. But if this shows that if we are not diligent, if you are not working your program every day, what can and will happen? Um, Well, time doesn't treat, time doesn't equal recovery. I actually, on this podcast, I don't say how long I've been sober because I, you can't time bully me, you know, either I don't, (laughs) some people are going to think I'm too sober. Some people won't think I'm sober enough to have an understanding of the book, you know, so, so it's my little tiny secret. Everyone's like, how sober are you? I'm like, "Eh, enough to be recovered. So that's how sober I am enough to help you recover. If you'd like, that's how sober I am. You know, it actually says you, you can become armed with facts about yourself and facts about the solution to alcoholism and then grow an understanding effectiveness of how to grow spiritually and help other people. And we need to know things. I actually, like, you know, you have to have an understanding of AA. It's not judgmental to understand Alcoholics Anonymous. Usually when a a person's never attempted the steps or had even a gander at the traditions, when, when you mention recovery or the requirements thereof, because mm-hmm. there are many requirements and musts and have tos in the big book. Um, they go, you're judgmental. And I'm like, I'm not. I have a chronic terminal illness with no treatment and it's not cured with time. I don't right. suffer from it today. And I understand the solution to it. It's not a judgment call that I know AA. It's any more than you know math, right? I learn stuff all the time. You were te- mm-hmm. oh, you were telling me about Edwin, Edwin Thatcher. Tell me about Ebby's family. I haven't heard about Thatcher. Of- yeah, Ebby Thatcher was very well off. His family was, and he was he was kind of the the black sheep of the family. Uh, the story I was telling you in the in the warm up was, um, I guess he he upset the family so much they sent him to the summer cottage, and they said, <laughs> while you're there, would you please go ahead and scrape and paint the place and clean it up for us, and so. I guess he got roaring drunk one night and decided to go after the birds that were um, using the side of the house as a part of their, their restroom. 
with the shotgun. Yes. So after that, they sent him off to Europe, and he actually was a student of Carl Jung, or a, a patient, rather, of Carl Jung, or Jung, depending on how you pronounce it. And he studied for a year with Carl Jung and came back, and he got sober. But because he did not have the two parts, he didn't have the spiritual part, the higher power, with the understanding of the body and the obsession and the cravings, uh, he still had problems during his life with alcoholism. But he gave Bill two of the three steps, mm. that there was a higher power, that there was something greater than himself, and that if he chose to turn his, his will over to uh, the higher power, that there could be a solution. Uh, Dr. Silkworth gave him the information that there was two parts. There was a body, there was right. a mind part, and a, and a physical part to it. Right. And so I, I'm curious about Ebby's. Did Ebby die drunk, or did he actually die sober? Because I know he drank again, but I think he it's, might have sobered up before he died. I don't, yeah. That's but he wasn't AA. He was never AA. He was not. He, never he was always Oxford the, group. He never got the part. Yes, he was part of the Oxford group, as mm -hmm. was Dr. Bob as was uh, Bill Dodson, the man on the bed. Um, all these guys were kind of like the... I didn't the know Bill off. D was Oxford group. Yeah, he was oh. He was in and out also. We owe uh, them a lot. We do we owe them do. a lot, yeah. But you realize that, that Bill doubled down on them. We had, The Oxford group was a very religious organization that had six tenants. And I thought it was Bill four. Said, well, I believe it was six. And then they created 12 out of that. Bill doubled down. He uh, he figured that we were a little slower. He better put them in more bite-sized pieces. Right. I So <laughs> I hate to be the bearer, but I've had a, a historian come in and he told me. four? That, he told me that, that, that okay. the, actually the page on 263 that has those six is made up. That it actually wasn't, that wasn't there at all. I swear. I just learned oh. it last year. I know. I was like, but I read that to sponsees and I like tell them this whole story. So it actually wasn't true, but it's okay. I'll, mm. I'll send you that tape on the historian. He's, he was actually very cool. But, um, so Oxford group, we owe a lot to, but I do know that their fourth principle is to help the next person and to pass Correct. it on. Service. But the other thing Service. that I know about the Oxford group is that it was only for affluent people. Like this was a very exclusive club. And one they were they were very religious oriented. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to get members that were in the upper part of uh, the upper mm. uh middle class and upper class because they felt then they'd be able to make decisions political uh that they wanted to see happen. Yeah. So really if you were a doctor or you were a stockbroker like Bill W was um, and we and, use that term loosely. Uh, I've heard it said that he <laughs> he was a he told he was a fast talking salesman that worked with slow minded people. Yeah. So he he was a little bit slick in the beginning, uh, but that's what they wanted. And over time, as the AA ideology started growing, they kind of became the back of the room guys, uh, sitting back there keeping to themselves, smoking cigarettes from uh, what I'm sure was. I was I was not in the rooms when I'm, it was like a haze of smoke, uh, but I've heard tales where there's just a, a just a, a layer of uh, cigarette smoke in some of these meetings. So, um, 
Bill actually, the Oxford group really internally collapsed because they became very evangelical, like freakishly yes. evangelical and um, very dependent upon each other. Um, so anyways, all of that history is so important and it's so, it's not boring is what I always say. Like things like the traditions and the concepts, when you're new, they just sound so stupid and boring. When my take on the traditions today is actually they're more important than the steps. Like did AA help you? Well, yes. Then you should probably <laughs> worry about the traditions because without them, we wouldn't be yeah. here. And then when you learn about the AA history, it's like every single mistake has already been made. So if you learn the traditions and concepts, you don't have to ever make a mistake. And that um, every single thing had to happen exactly the way that it did in the exact same order, or again, we wouldn't be here. And so um, it sounds like it's super boring just learning about history, but it's it's not. It's it's thrilling, actually, in my opinion. In my humble opinion, AA history is. is thrilling. Um, it's a, Well, it's really a confluence and a coming together of facts and people and timing. And actually, last week I was talking about mm-hmm. um, before the effect, we were, we were talking about the allergy and how we came to that. And I said, you know, we had come out of the Industrial Revolution, which led to the Victorian era, where you had a rising middle class that finally had time. They weren't totally, you know, toiling, I guess would be the way they pronounce it in the fields or they weren't working in the factories 12 hour days they finally had time to talk and sit down and write and the emergence of thought came through the victorian area to the first part of the 19th century and then the american century took over where just all of this invention from flight to automation to cars it just was a time when what would never have been thought of as being able to be discussed which is a topic like alcoholism, was able to be discussed. And it gave thought to uh, the ideology that there were two parts to this. And that's Dr. Silkworth. That's the doctor's opinion that we have to thank for that. And Dr. Silkworth didn't really want to be working in a hospital slash sanitarium, but he was down on his luck after the crash of the stock market. And he took a job in uh, what was then uh, basically the last stop for us. Uh, we They would have gone in there and tried to dry you out or fill you for, full of morphine to keep you calm while you had the DTs and your liver shut down and you were gone and you were put in the pauper's, you know, pauper's grave. It, it, it's What's a pauper's really grave? stunning. Well, you know, they would have thrown you out back if the family didn't want you. Um, oh, yeah. I always say that about just being a woman alcoholic. Like, <laughs> like they would have just <laughs> let us die in the barn. It's fine. <laughs> you know, if so, I go ahead. If I thought I could get away with it, if you like Joe and, and Charlie, they have a fantastic joke about that. Oh, really? It runs, <laughs> about, it, it runs about two minutes. Would you like to hear it? Do you know where it is? I, Can you easily find it? I have it queued it? up. I oh have it queued my up. god! Like? Yes. Hold on, please. <laughs> as long as well as be able to study our book and maybe learn something about our steps. I'd like to read to you something I found in my big book not too long ago when I got home from a big book study. Somebody had put it in the front of my book. And it's a letter addressed to Dear Abby. It said, Dear Abby, I'm a sailor in the U.S. Navy, and I also have a cousin who belongs to Alcoholics Anonymous. My father has epilepsy, and my mother has Alzheimer's, so neither of them can work. They are totally dependent upon my two sisters who are prostitutes in Louisville, Kentucky. 
And the reason they're prostitutes is my only brother is serving a, serving a life term in prison for rape and murder. I'm in love with a streetwalker who operates near our base. He knows nothing in my background that says that she loves me. We intend to get married as soon as she settles her bigamy case, which is now in court. When I get out of the Navy, we intend to move to Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and open a small house. <laughs> now, my problem is this. In view of the fact that I intend to make this girl my wife and bring her into my family, should I or should I not tell her about my cousin who is in AA? <laughs> And that's the way we used to be treated. Right. Wow. <laughs> so his voice that? is always so funny. Like his voice is just such like, I feel like he's just an old farmer. So. He is. And his, his story about the chicken farm and driving by and finding. Oh, was he a chicken food. farmer? He was. Oh my uh, God. Charlie how funny. Was, I yep. just made that up. And uh, he used to drive by in, in the, um, the, the, Sobercast version, he talks about he'd drive by and they would find bottles and they'd wave at him, letting him know they'd found another bottle hidden somewhere on his chicken ranch. Um, and uh, Joe was, I, I'm not quite sure what Joe did. There were actually two Joes, there was one Charlie. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that was a great opening because when you look at the way they used to frown or look down upon alcoholism, it really was worse than almost anything else in that joke. Right. And you didn't talk about Uncle Joe who had a drinking problem or Aunt Mabel or or someone. They just kind of, as I said, they just kind of disappeared or they'd go off to the sanitarium. They'd go on vacation mm. for a few weeks and they'd come back and then they would inevitably slip again. So but we still tend to send people on, you know to rehab in Thailand, like that's going to be some solution to where if I just change my environment, I'll be fine. And I was kind of laughing to myself. I was, I was preemptively telling you I might be late. I am freakishly punctual. Did you see that it was literally zero zero when we like, <laughs> when we logged on? I'm freakishly punctual, but I always tell you if I might be because I just did hot yoga for the first time. And on the whole way home, I was just laughing like, well, don't need AA now because I've done hot yoga. You know, just all these <laughs> ridiculous things that we suggest to newcomers that are a substitution for drinking yourself to death and how yeah. absolutely asinine it is that. I think I can go ride an elephant in Thailand and, and not have um, these two symptoms of alcoholism. And the reason that we're in so much trouble in AA today with the message that's been so diluted and convoluted, would it matter? Would it matter if we had a fucked up message? It wouldn't if people were recovering. But the truth is, is we have the exact same membership population as we did 20, 30 years ago. Therefore, we are not recovering and could it potentially be because you can go to a lot of meetings and not hear about what alcoholism is. And I mean, at all, you hear about circumstances, you hear about childhoods, you hear about how much someone drank or the frequency or the quantity, but not one time in an hour and 40 minute meeting, often do you hear what alcoholism is. And if I don't understand what it is I suffer from, I will not be willing to take the actions required to recover from that. I have family uh, north of Boston, Massachusetts, and my father passed of, of Alzheimer's a number of years ago, and I was fortunate enough to be sober. 
before he passed. One of the last times I was up there, I flew in and uh, I had stopped because I needed a meeting, wanted a meeting. And I just, I love the meetings up there because usually they'll come in and then there'll be a family that'll come in and they're all trying to get soba. They're getting sober together, <laughs> you know, cute. and they're trying. And one of them has been drinking this morning and three of them were out last night, but they're still trying. And, mm-hmm. you know, God bless that. That's what we want. Come to a meeting if you're drunk, because we would much rather have you there with us than in a car. We would much rather see if you are ready to get done with the yet. So get done with the, uh, the pain and the suffering than to have you out there continuing to do this. If you if you want freedom from that pain and suffering, it's available. And the part that you were talking about the the solution, the fellowship, going to meetings is not AA. The no. twelve steps and and the process of change and growth is the program. The fellowship is the secondary part of it. It almost is like the same part that we have the mind and the body. We have the fellowship and we have the steps. And if you follow the steps and you get a big book and you get a sponsor, you cannot sponsor yourself, sorry to tell you, you can't do it yourself. You have to have someone show you who's done it before because we're learning a new language. When you hit the rooms, uh, maybe you'll see the time takes time and let things go and easy does it. And we hate all of them in the beginning. Then you grow to love all of those sayings because they're true. As you change, as you grow, as you go through your fourth step and you clear your resentments, and as you start carrying things over to God, as you get to ninth and you start making your amends in 10 and 11, and then you're doing your daily, and you're and you're thanking your higher power as you understand him, her, or they. I can't, I can't update the big book. I know it seems very male-oriented. Remember, it was written in 1935. They are talking about a new update. Fortunately, they they've see... already done it. They've already done it. And I, well, I I find it abhorrent. And look at, like, visually feminists, look at me. But I just, listen, if you are not do, working the steps because it it's of the wording, it's an excuse. It's just you're just I not agree. willing to get I sober. Agree. That's it. And it's, you know, most of the shit, most of the things that are offensive, you could work through with a 10th step and I or a fourth step. Yeah. I don't, there's a solution here that we don't need to change this stuff. Yeah, I don't, we don't really, have to change, we don't, we don't have to change to, the chapter, the for the wise to the for the others, for the significant to, others. You don't, but, you know, two wives is actually bursting with spiritual principles. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I am the alcoholic in the family. So is it, it do we just disregard it? Cause it says to the wife who doesn't exist. Uh, no, no. it's, it's an amazing place to look for spirituality and, and, and the whole world isn't going to um, ease up. That's circumstances. If, if I have an issue and it's circumstantial, that's not of God. That's of self. That's in right. my selfishness, my self-seeking for the world to make me comfortable. And we could change the book a million ways from Saturday, but it's not going to change that the whole world's going to change to make me comfortable. There is... um. I, I've never gotten bored with the big book and it's never not kept going for me. Um, I've never just been able to be like, well, I know everything. Literally two weeks ago, <laughs> I found something new, you know, all the time. How long has that been in there? Uh, well, that's the thing is the 12 steps are available to everybody. Many recovery 
Uh, places have used it, obviously, you know, NA and, and the various other A's, but the original, the, the one and only is our program. And if you take 90% of it, you're missing what's going to be that 1% in that last 10% that is really what's going to make the difference. You need to do the program 100%. Um, if you have time and um, would like to another one, I have yeah. a great piece from Joe and Charlie Focus on the solution, which talks exactly about the fellowship versus the solution and how they work together. Would Please, you like to absolutely. All I'd right. love that. Perfect. Uh, okay, give me a moment here to switch. Successful at helping so Perfect. many people that everybody in the world got the wanting to be a part of this fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we grew and we grew and we grew and we grew, but as we grew in numbers, we began to lose sight of our spirituality. And somewhere we begin to measure success in AA by how long we've been sober rather than by the quality of our sobriety. Preach. Over in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, does it talk about length of sobriety? It does talk about quality of sobriety. And we begin to put the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, to the side. And we begin to start staying sober on fellowship only. One alcoholic sharing with another, a tremendous amount of strength and power there. So we begin to try to stay sober on fellowship only and slowly, slowly lost sight of the fact that through the program, we can be joyous, happy, and free mm. if we use the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Alcoholics Anonymous began to be something that it really wasn't designed for in the first place. And we so. That's amazing. How long ago was that? And I was going to say, that's 1993. God damn it. It's, it's, I mean, it's worse, Joe. This. It's worse, or Charlie. Yeah, it's 30 <laughs> years ago. Well, it was It was also noted, and I'd love to have your historian back me up on this, that huh? in the first few years, they claimed a 90% recovery rate. Right, absolutely. When they used to, when they used to and we didn't have, you know... Netflix and 150,000 channels and, and, and hot and cold running uh, things going on in our lives every day. Like if you called and said you needed to see someone at the height of this, they came and got you. Two or three guys would come and pick you up. They'd run a 12 step on you and you'd, you'd be hanging with them for the next week or two weeks or whatever. They wouldn't let you go. And so it was really instilled to do that service, to be part of that fellowship, learn the, learn the verbiage. And then start working the stops. I'm um, I, I'm kind of sad that he said that, and it's that's my message is like, I, I it's not about being right or wrong. It's it's the fact that we're doing something in AA that it wasn't meant to do. We aren't yeah. we aren't a social circle for everyone who has any problem ever. Um, the people to whom the book is written is what it says, can't stay sober much like a week. Those people are going to die of alcoholism. So the problem with not understanding the long form of Tradition 3 is mm -hmm. that, number one, we are now pretty much watered down, filled with uh, catering to heavy drinkers that don't have the necessity for a spiritual malady or a spiritual experience, spiritual mm -hmm. experience to recover. Otherwise, they'll die. Um, and then second of all, if you don't have alcoholism, you cannot work step 12. You know, AA is one alcoholic helping another, just like you said, that is, that's right. how we, w but if you're not an alcoholic or you haven't had a spiritual experience as a result of the steps, you have fuck all to offer me and I'm going to drink myself to death. 
I'm going to die of this. I'm the real alcoholic. So watering this down, we aren't intended to do anything except recover the real alcoholic. So understanding what a real alcoholic is, is the most important thing I think that we can do as people who have recovered using AA. And, and it's hard because I used to remember early in my sobriety, I got upset when I saw people that would come in here in the States pre-COVID. We had a lot of people who got a DUI or driving under the influence mm-hmm. show, were told by the courts, you, as part of your recovery, go to AA and sign the slip. And so they've they always do done their, that. Always. Well, they've mm-hmm. done their their twenty meetings. Yeah. They, they paid their fine, and then they're gone. And I'm like, I'm suffering. I am in so much pain in my early recovery, mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand why someone could just nonchalantly show up and be like, "Sign my slip," and then I'm out of here. Yeah. I craved it. I craved it. I read the bid book. I listened to Joe and Charlie. I went to three and four meetings a day for my first few months because. It was like finding water after realizing I'd been in the desert. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get enough, and I wanted to learn and do and and give back over time, give back, which is why I sponsor, which is why I thought that we needed a meeting, which is why I do this podcast, is to mm-hmm. give back to a program that saved my life. Yeah. And I make absolutely no bones about it. This program saved my life, and I know it. I don't I don't need anyone to tell me. I don't need to remind it. I, right. I live it every day. Yeah. So you and I in the big book are on page 76. If you have your are book we? in front All of right. you. Hold on. Let me find which okay. Have you realized that the first edition of the big book is now a very, very expensive collectible? Well, As I have one service, right there. I you have one? <laughs> yeah. You got an extra one? <laughs> if you have an original first edition, there you're going to throw up when I tell you where it is. You are going to throw up. If it's holding the door open, we're in trouble. It's worse than that. It's worse than that. I'm not even going to tell you. Now, don't get me wrong. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have seven big books in my line of sight. Okay. And they're Fantastic. each used for something kind of a little bit different. And I have two sitting here waiting to give away. My first edition big book, I haven't looked at in so long that it is holding up part of my bed frame. <laughs> With the circus cover on it, which is why I do the yellow and the red and yes. the black. When you're gifting books, please, okay. I will send you my address. Oh, okay. my God. I have a reprint from 78, and I yeah. actually just got another one that I want to give away. Part of my service is I like giving away big books. I feel that if you come to our meeting and you have never gotten a big book, that you're leaving with one. Yeah. Okay. Where are we on page 73? 76. Ah! close i knew that's what i said 76 so um it's funny we've done one two three four five six seven guests so far and we're we're still in the second paragraph so it says grant me strength as i go out from here to do your bidding so that's interesting because um people all the time talk about how they just need strength if you don't understand alcoholism you're going to think that you just need to be stronger and have more willpower in order to stay sober and so what's the truth that we know today that willpower is absolutely uh, becomes non-existent when it comes to alcohol, that I'm actually insane around it. 
And yep. so um, this is one of my HNX's edits to the big book. It's not about the fucking pronouns. It's that it says strength because I don't actually need strength to do anything. None of these things happen by strength. I think it's kind of that religious prayer like thrown in this sentence because it's not my strength. It actually has nothing to do with me. I think he probably yeah. could have used a better word there. Grant me um, acceptance maybe as I go out from here to do your bidding. Uh, Grant Step, step seven is one of is one of the shortest steps in the book, and I feel it's one of the most important because it's your transitional step where you are letting go and letting God. That's what you're doing in step seven. You're asking for the strength of your higher power. Oh, because like you've that. been through the sixth step and you're headed into what's going to be working on your amends, and this is that quiet contemplative time step seven is that moment when you wake up in the morning and you're not quite awake but you know the the world is out there and it's going to wake up and you're going to be part of it and it's going to be one of the best days of your life because you're sober that's the seventh step to me that is my giving of myself to my higher power to thank the the larger universe for letting me find sobriety you are so much more optimistic of a human than i am <laughs> it's gonna be a great day i always remember jerry Maguire, and i'm not kidding there's a part in jerry Maguire. you're my age you know this movie yep. and the the his first first agent i always remember he goes every morning i hop out of bed i clap my hands i say today's gonna be a great day and i don't know why that part of the movie is stuck with me but that's like you're like you just wake up and you're like it's gonna be the best day of my life i am not as a human internally i'm not even this is going to be a fun one i am not internally uh, faithful i wake up agnostic in a way i wake up like a day-to-day -day proposition of whether or not i'm going to let god run the show even though i have evidence that his way is going to be so much better so much easier and um i've kind of gotten a practice of the first thing when I wake up is saying thank you. And I promise you in all the years I've been sober, not a single morning have I not woken up to thank you or thank you for my sobriety. And I probably say it a million times throughout the day and every time I go to bed, because it's the one thing in my whole life that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I didn't do this. I didn't you, keep myself sober. I'm not keeping myself sober. Yep. And I didn't get myself sober in the first place. It's actually evidence of God, isn't it? And yes, so throughout and the years growing spiritually, our goal is to collect evidence of God so that we can rely on this evidence in order to help other people to rely upon their higher powers. Like, look at the shiny little rock of God. Now, <laughs> I want you to take that with you while you go to your job interview today. Okay? Why don't now, now, it's not God? unicorns. It's not unicorns and rainbows. No. And you went Jerry Maguire in <gasps> my podcast. I used the Truman Show, Jim Carrey. Good morning. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> Because any time during the day, you can change your day. Mm. It doesn't have to be the way the day started. You can make change no matter when your your thought process has gone off the rails. You know, um, I had a great counselor in my outpatient. He said, every day is like being on the balance beam. You know, you watch these gymnasium gymnastics. They're walking across and spinning and doing all these twirls. 
I'm lucky if I would stay on a double balance beam. All right, I'm a big guy. Yeah. But, <laughs> but he said every day is like walking that balance beam because every day is a little bit different. Just because I had sobriety yesterday didn't guarantee it today. Doesn't guarantee it for tomorrow. But if I do, and I'm going to get repetitive here, I do the right things. If I make sure I stay in contact with my sponsor, if I make sure that I do service, if I make sure that I'm doing my 12th step, and if I make sure that I'm not living on self-will, I'm living on God's will, like this seventh step, and I'm giving thanks for those, the the, the chance to do that today, then I'm hopefully going to make it through this next 24 hours. So I'll just read the end of this because like to finish it off, it says, grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step six. So we've done a bunch of steps up into this point. We've under, oh, step seven. Sorry. We've done a bunch of stuff up until this point. And the first thing, you know, what you were saying, the let go and let God thing. Well, the first thing that I, that's, that's a, it's such a slogan that is so grossly taken out of context a lot of the time where that I just, every time I'm upset, just hand it over to God. But for me, um, I have to be willing to hand over what's disturbing me. And for me to find willingness, I have to be able to identify what it is in me that is separating, separating myself from God and you. So if I am disturbed, if there is something between me and you, there is something between me and God. And in order for me to be willing to allow God to remove this, because up in step six, it just talks about how we've emphasized this willingness. And if we don't have it, we actually need God's help to get it. It's so messed up. Like when we talk (laughs) about how we grow, and I was saying last podcast, like, when you say this shit out loud, you sound like a crazy person. You sound just beyond, right? Like, okay, well, I can't actually change myself. So I have to ask my sky daddy to help me out here. You know, <laughs> If we can't do it ourselves, if we cannot, you know, we cannot live on self-will. We think we can. I thought I could. But self-will is a destructive end when the answer is out there. We just have to let something larger than ourselves and, you know, being agnostic in the morning and spiritual by the evening times. Okay. You're welcome to do that because Mm -hmm. that's the change. That's, that's being willing to change. What's what would drive me off the rails would be as if I wasn't willing to change every day. Mm. If I woke up one day and maybe I said, you know what, I'm done trying to change. I'm done trying to figure out the spirituality. I'm just going to live as an agnostic. But and you multiple times a day because I'm I'm in my 40s. First of all, I have a teenager and I'm American. There are many things to be agitated about throughout a day. <laughs> <laughs> Raise three boys. I know right. what you're talking about. So, God bless. That was a cute response. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a nightmare. Um, so it's funny because like. I get, I can get agitated multiple times a day. And so it's not just asking God to help me out just in the morning. I mean, this is like a, a moment, moment occurrence some months. I get it. And, and um, it's tough. But the willingness comes from evidence of experience. So the first evidence that we have when we get to this point is simply the compulsion to drink being removed from us. This didn't happen because I wanted it or tried hard. I did not try to have the compulsion to drink removed from me. My -hmm. mental, I had a, a psychic change as resulting from the 12 step spiritual experience, it happened to me, all right? I didn't do that. So I have a little bit of evidence. Now, when I get to this other stuff, you know, in step four and five, we're revealed 
this whole list of defects of character or what I just call humanness, like that it's that I am run to an extreme. I'm self will run riot. I'm so fucking selfish that I cannot see past my own nose to the point where everyone's just existing and I'm making everything about me and being victimized by it. Right. I'm in so much pain from just the way that I think and I perceive the world that I can't stay sober till 10 a.m. because it's just too painful to be sober. But now at the end of this process, I have a list. So I don't know about you. And this is my best question for you. I'm so excited. Um, I don't know where my lineage air quotes came from. It's a specific way through the big book. And it's very quick. We don't read line by line. We don't change every word because you're going to be studying this shit the rest of your life if you're doing it right, right? I just got to get you to God real quick. But I was wondering about my fourth step because I don't know where it came from. But I sponsored someone recently who was like in step four with someone else and they were take too long came to me. She showed it to me and it looked exactly it looked like mine. And then she goes, oh, it's Joe and Charlie. Can you describe the Joe and Charlie fourth step in a way that's understandable, do you think? Yes. As a matter of fact, I'd almost share the screen if I could. Oh, I don't. Hold on. Yeah, they had a seminar packet that they gave out. And they had a grid that they used. And I use it with my sponsees for their fourth step because it breaks down all the different parts of the resentment. The, mm-hmm. the the selfishness, the sexuality part, the um the fear, and it's I'm looking real quick here, see if I can find a copy of it, and I will share my screen real quick. Um, Charlie, and let's see. Because this was the first person I've ever sponsored. I've been sober lots of years. We'll just say that. Right. And um, the first person I've ever sponsored who had brought me a fourth step from somewhere else that looked almost exactly like mine. And I was like, mm-hmm. is that where this came from? I got yeah, sober they're... in Denver, Colorado with my sponsor there. And I was able to stay for a year. And then I came back to Australia where I've been for many, many years. And I was there okay. for many years before I got sober as well. So I'm very Australian. Sorry about the accent. It's so lame. But, oh, you know. Yo. You're I'm doing a... real. You're doing. You're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, there isn't a lot of uh, big book recovery in general, but it was really interesting seeing a four step that kind of looked like mine. With so we can we can even say it this way: like, um, do you have a list of defects? Yeah, I mean, I go through this with them, and we discuss what what is found. Mm-hmm. Um, did they? Did they have fear? Did they have selfishness? Did they um, have some other part that kept them? I had a lot. I had a lot of fear in in my fourth step in that column. You know, things. A lot of the things that I did were very fear based, and some of it is also you know small um, self. Um, what am I looking for? Um, not maybe maybe if you find it, would you email it to me? I'd just like I to know. I would be for, more than happy to. I'd like you know to know the, for personal um, education reasons for sure. Um, yeah. So, so bringing it back, we do our fourth and fifth, and all of a sudden something has happened. We begin to wake up. We see that actually, actually, yes, other people are the problem, but like, like I'm the fucking problem like i am the <laughs> huge huge problem i'm such a problem it, it's about us yeah there's there's a lot of problems you know sure the whole world is falling apart and they have problems but maybe if i just dealt with 
mine. That would take a big right. chunk out of the world's problems if I started to, you know, uh, de- uh, declutter my channel to God. If I just focused on my channel to God for a minute, I wonder yes. what would happen in the whole in my whole ripple. Every human has a ripple. If like a ripple in a pond, you know, if I actually uh, worked on my stone here, I feel like maybe my ripple could be a little bit more productive in the world than take than sucking the life out of every human I've ever met, you know, like I was just an oxygen waste. I was just, I'm sorry, a lot of people come here not that bad. That is not my story. I really was. And I and I boast in the in my weakness is today. I boast in the fact that God, that I am not sober on merit. God wasn't like, better save Agent X. She's a winner. Absolutely not. You know, if anyone in the world was like, let's let's handpick Agent X because she's such a shining example of humanity that we should get her well. No, you know, no. So You don't know. You, you don't know who you're going to meet. I'm going to share my, oh, you disabled screen sharing. These, you can look at these and see how you're affecting in the first three columns and then what part did i play in this right cool and this is i mean i have heard and i have a good friend of mine who's like all you need is the big book it shows you right there it gives you the instructions and i don't disagree with that Mm -hmm. i just believe that when you use something like a form like this it can help you organize your thoughts a little bit better I would be happy to do that for a first run through because you're going to be taking inventory the rest of your life if you're right. if you're going to stay well. So I think just even seeing I know the biggest shocker for me and all my sponsees is dishonesty. Like I would not in a million of years have told you that I was dishonest, nor would I today. And I just did a fifth step that was just so shockingly dishonest. It was comical how all these years <laughs> sober that like I still the dishonesty was hilarious, actually, yes. how ingrained. Yeah. So so it's like you don't just naturally see these things about yourself. So we now have, like, these areas of self that are causing us so much freaking pain. And I can see that. I can't be, loath- like, self-loathing and self-pity all the time and feeling awesome. It's a direct yeah. correlation. It's not a far stretch to understand that I am in so much self-pity because of my childhood and my dad. I'm in so much anger because... I'm so fucking selfish that I need everyone to behave where I'm not okay, um, that I've disconnected completely. That's the poor me controlling nature. That's, you know, I'm I'm king of the world and you have to listen to me, but I'm absolutely lacking in confidence. So you're setting yourself up for failure and you're not, until you clear that wreckage, until you're able to see what the underlying cause in that is, not only, you know, what the self part is, but what's my part of this? What, what am I, what do I need to find? Was I dishonest? Was I self-seeking? You know, what, what part did I play in this so that you can break that cycle? Because you can't get better until you can realize some of the things that have been dragging you forward all these years. Well, I I don't like to use the word part. I use the word mistake. And what is my mistakes? Because I don't have a part in, some of the things uh, I made a lot of mistakes in that relationship, however. So it's, I have to disregard the other person completely and just look at my own bullshit. I would, I I would actually write a very cussy big book, you know, <laughs> look at your own shit. You know, it's funny people. So this is a good example. I like to bring up around step six and seven 
around this willingness. Um, I have to actually admit that there's a problem with something before I'm willing to bring it over to my higher power. And I have to identify Mm -hmm. that. And the way that I identify these things is through pain. And so when we have this list in step four of like all these defects and and really what's blocked me off, I, I then am so sick of my own bullshit that I am ready and willing and begging God. In my step seven, I was on my knees like done. I am tapping out of my life. I'm sick of my shit. I don't even like me. You don't like me. None of us like me. I get it like over, done, whatever you want, God, whatever you want. And then, you know, more will be revealed around what needs to be delivered. And I have absolutely no uncomfortability around my swearing. Now, other people do, but it doesn't affect me at all. I am not uncomfortable the way I talk. It's I am 100% authentic. And the people that come to me, really like that I'm not judging their the words they're choosing to use in early recovery. So I'm I'm here um in my own way with God in step six and seven. However, yeah. there was so much that I was willing to give give over. And I like in the seven step prayer, it's like, can God now do something about this? Because you can't, but if you're willing, he will. And that's more evidence of God. So when I get over here and I'm like, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character, which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. My swearing may turn some 30 year sober lady, church lady away from my message, but I don't necessarily need to be giving her the message. The 22 year old just out of prison who literally cannot not say the F word is going to be very, very attracted to my message that I can claim God and have neck tattoos and say the F word. That's pretty (laughs) sick. Tell me that's not attractive to a newcomer. Yeah, I am. So here we go. It's saying that we're going to remove from God every single defect of character that's standing in my way. And that's not, you know, I put on some weight recently. God does not give a shit about my gene size and until I, he doesn't that's not of use no one's no one, i'm not sponsoring anyone because i look good promise no one like maybe because i'm cool that is true i'm cool look at well, me there you go yeah. but not because of my weight and that's a thing and until i'm willing willing to have god in my life around it he's not gonna change us absolutely not it's not important yeah. so my job now again is to give myself to God, good and bad, and yes. that he He do these things so that I can be uh, useful. This is not God making me perfect so that I can just sit on a shelf watching Netflix, being shiny and new. Could you imagine? There well, is a price to be paid. There is a job to do. God is recruiting his agents. He's the principal, but you're the guy with the briefcase, the big yeah, book and the- a smile. You're the one that has to do the work just because you got through the steps. It's not over. And, you know, the biggest thing about doing service is, and I, I, I love using this, you know, the old joke is, you know, if you're getting chased by a bear, I only have to run faster than the guy in front of me. Yeah. You know, I don't, in you, in AA, when you do service, it keeps you in the middle. Yeah. In I quotes, agree. they say, you know, it keeps you from doing the silly things. It keeps you from forgetting your tools. It keeps you thinking that, hey, if that thought comes along, and we just got through the holidays, I'm on my fourth holidays, and I did pretty well. I didn't really worry about it. But there was one morning where I'm like, wow, 
you know, I used to love a Bailey's in my morning coffee. It was my holiday tradition. Yeah. And I had one fleeting glimpse, you know, just a, a, a thought about it. And it passed and it was no big deal. But you know, I called my sponsor later that day. I said, you know, these holidays, they'll get you. So we well, were talking about the seven that's step human prayer. response to alcohol, though. So when Can people are to say you? that, I'm like, but that's how human people Think of alcohol. So it is actually being restored to sanity around alcohol. Having a fleeting thought about mine is Halloween. I love drinking beer, handing out candy. That was my favorite. So yeah, a a couple Halloweens ago, I was like, God, a beer would be so great right now. That is a human response though, because that's the human. That's not insanity. That's like, that's not a compulsion to drink either. It's, it's very, um, it's no, very it's, well, human it's, response to it's, alcohol. It's, it's what which we would say what a normal person would do. We just can't do it. Thank you so much, Edwin, for coming on with me. And thanks for Fantastic. everyone who listens. Please remember you can get in contact with me at any time at that's not in the book at hotmail.com. We'll see you guys next week. Dude, have you even read the fucking book? 